From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Columbus, Ohio prepares to pass gun control laws even though state law says they can't. Activists claim Philadelphia is plagued by killer gas stations. A medical report proves more guns do not cause more crime. And what's up with Michael Bloomberg's militia fetish? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Lee Williams, Chief Editor of the Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Journalism Project. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be back. So, Lee, it's been a while since we had you on. What have you been up to? Well, I was up in Columbus, uh, more accurately uh, Dublin, over the Thanksgiving holiday, and we came up there uh, via a couple of day stop on the Bourbon Trail, which I highly, highly, highly recommend. But yeah, we had Thanksgiving with my wife's family in uh, Dublin. Okay. Well, so how'd that go? I mean, do, do, you, have, do you have like a big family where you have she like does, 50 or 60 um, people there? Or? No, more like about 12. So it was manageable. I was cold the whole time, but uh, it was fun. And uh, we got out and saw some great parts of Columbus I hadn't seen before. Well, you know, my sister lives in Las Vegas. When she comes here, if it's like below 80, she's wearing a sweater. So, I mean, you got <laughs> you guys in the warm states, you get uh, you get spoiled, right? Then I literally never wear long pants. I never wear anything other than flip-flops. So I was wearing boots and jeans for uh, – a week, which is is interesting. Well, I still see, see people dress like that, and and very often, at least in years past, you know, I dress would dress completely inappropriately. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, very because I just the cold doesn't affect me that much. I actually kind of like it a little on the chilly side. Well, I was there for that horrible Ohio State game against Michigan, so that was kind of a, the downer for the the week. Well, that's that's a requirement to have cold weather. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, since you were here, Lee, did you happen to hear anything about uh, what Columbus is trying to do with uh, their gun control ordinances? Yeah, it's, you know, we we have a very strong preemption here in Florida, and it has occasionally been tested several times, and they always cite what they did there, the home rule rule. Uh, it prevents us from home rule. Well, yeah, um, but our law here, I, I don't know, our, our our preemption law has teeth. Any public official who violates it is looking at at least a $5,000 fine and removal from office. And the statute even requires them to pay that out of their own pocket. They can't use public money to pay that fine. Um, but it was interesting. It was deja vu all over again, as Yogi Berra would say, when I saw that they were fighting it um, based on home rule. Uh, I hope your Supreme Court handles that the right way. Because preemption is the is the, the bedrock upon which all gun laws are made. Well, I mean, preemption has been around for a long time, and uh, we you know we helped get that passed. That was you know back from two thousand and seven, right. and we've had cases go all the way to the Supreme Court here in Ohio. In two thousand and ten, they definitively ruled 
that preemption was valid in all aspects. I mean, there was no doubt about it. We've won lawsuits against cities like Columbus. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that we won a lawsuit because they tried to ban bump stocks. So uh, I, I don't know what they're thinking. What happened was that we updated preemption back, right, in, 2000, back in 2018. So this isn't when it started. It started you know many years ago. But we updated it, added some, as you say, teeth to it, and made it stronger. And immediately Columbus filed a lawsuit to try to stop the, that bill from taking effect. Now, the bill did other things as well, but uh, they launched a lawsuit. And basically, the suit just sat there for about three years. I, I'm not sure why. And then Columbus decided to sue the judge. So they, they kind of forced his hand. All of a sudden, the judge comes out with the ruling. And the way that Columbus interprets it, which we obviously disagree with, is that this ruling gives them a green light to pass gun laws, which is completely ridiculous because right. obviously it doesn't. Again, Supreme Court case, we have preemption. It's very broad. Uh, you know, we, we've uh, had this for a long time. We've won lawsuits, but here they are saying they, they have a green light. So, uh, I mean, what do you think about this? You know, most states, what is it, like 42 or some states have preemption, and it's very clear what the intent is. You don't want a lot of cities passing their own laws. You want basically one set of laws at the state level. Why do they keep doing this? Why do cities keep doing this? Well, the, it's it's the ultimate in in uh, anti-gun coup if they can get get a victory over it. I mean, can you imagine if every little jurisdiction or city or school board or county commission could write their own gun laws? It would be the the, the much ballyhooed patchwork of you know pro, uh, gun-free zone, not uh, no gun-free zone all across the state, which would effectively kill the uh, constitutional carry, which you just passed. Thank you very much, by the way. I enjoyed that. <laughs> well, our, our pleasure. Well, I mean, th the way I look at it is this. I think that there are basically two possibilities. Number one, they just have bad lawyers, Yeah. right? They, they're, just not, they're just not getting it. They're not going to win. They cannot win. No, no they, they won't. And we just reelected three really good justices and the governor— who's going to appoint someone to fill the, the uh, uh, Sharon Kennedy's seat because she's become the chief justice. And so we, we even sent him a letter and said, you know, please keep preemption in mind when you're appointing somebody. So if a case went all the way to the Supreme Court again, I think we'd win that. But here's the other possibility. I think that they know that this is bogus. I think they're just playing politics like a lot of cities— it's completely controlled by Democrats, Columbus, Ohio. Sure. And they've had this spike in crime. They're probably getting pressure. They don't know what to do about it, like a lot of other cities don't. So they want to blame it on us. They, they, you know, they, they have specifically named Republicans, uh, Buckeye Firearms Association, and all the, you know, these evil gun owners who are preventing them from reducing crime. <laughs> and so I, I think <clears throat> as if the contents of your gun safe have anything to do or the magazines, the standard capacity magazines right. in your gun safe has, have anything to do with crime. Right. I, I think you're right. I think there's also a lot of pandering going on to their base, you know, but my God, if 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 they can get one, if they could win, uh, that would be a huge victory for them. That's why I think. Unfortunately, you're going to have to spend some of your members' money and keep this one going. Well, I hope not. You know, these kind of lawsuits are very expensive. That bump stock lawsuit 
was just shy of $300,000. You know, these things are not cheap. No, I, I've been in contact with Delaware. They're facing three laws, uh, magazines, quote-unquote assault weapons, and 18 to 20. And they figure they're going to, uh, they'll spend about a million bucks per lawsuit. They're not cheap. I think it's there's a little bit of lawfare going on too. You know, anytime they can get a pro-gun group to have to cough up some money uh, is a victory to them. Uh, and I, I hope you when you win, you can get all your attorney's fees recouped too. Well, we, we do have attorney's fees as part of the law, but I'm hoping that, you know, we don't have to go that route. We've right. been talking to the attorney general. There's a lawsuit. I mean, the, the Columbus's lawsuit is against the state. So they are the state. The attorney general is defending the state. Now, Columbus, this gets a little more complex because they don't believe that this case actually affects their ability. They've got this convoluted argument that because the state has not passed specific laws on things like magazines, that they have the ability to pass laws, which is completely bogus because the preemption law specifically states components, right? Firearms right. and components. Well, what is a magazine? It's obviously a component. You can't use a rifle unless you have that magazine that holds the ammunition. So, Are you going to do an amicus? Um, we're going to, you know, we're going to wait and see what really happens to see if they actually pass the law. We're going to see what we can do, you know, outside of a lawsuit. It's possible what we could do is just uh, get a stay, you know, ju Good. just, uh, just, uh, you know, go to a judge and say that, uh, we, you know, we want them to stop this law and then, you know, see what we can do without actually launching a lawsuit. But if we have to, we will, you know. But uh, we're going to find out in about a week or two. I think that they're determined to, to move forward. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, things might be different the, the next time you uh, come to Columbus, Lee. I, I can't imagine that. Well, you know, you have a lot of friends across the country, including us here in Florida. So keep us updated. We will we'll help just like where we've helped some other groups, too. Well, speaking of crazy stuff. Uh, here, here's a crazy one. Uh, because, you know, I love reading your articles, and I, I came across one, and it was about killer gas stations. Killer yeah. gas stations. Now, I guess this was, you know, came out of the Trace, which is yeah. an online publication that basically serves as the propaganda arm of former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. You know, it was specifically set up to pump out propaganda to help pass gun control laws, but it was about killer gas stations. Now, Lee, I'm a big sci-fi and horror movie fan, <laughs> and I honestly thought I'd seen it all. Killer clowns, killer rats, killer cars. I've never seen killer gas stations. So you looked into this. What What is this all about? Well, the, nobody ever said the the kids at the Trace working for Bloomberg. I can't call them reporters or journalists because they're anti-gun activists. Nobody ever accused them of letting the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, but there have been nine killings at Philadelphia gas stations during all of 2021 and damn near all of 2022. That's nine homicides in nearly two years. Okay. Meanwhile, not on gas station property, the city has seen more than a thousand murders. Okay, so evidently to the young kids at the Trace, this constitutes a nasty trend. You know, you have pretty much less than 1% of the city's more than 1,000 homicides occurring on gas stations. So, of course, this is an epidemic. 
Of course, they, they want specific laws passed. They want safety programs uh, enacted at gas stations. Even the, the, the Democratic-controlled Philadelphia City Council shot them down. They basically told them, we've sent, spent a record amount of taxpayer dollars on anti-gun violence initiatives, but they're not going to spend a dime bolstering gas station no, security. No, I just I want to make sure I understand safety programs at gas stations. How does that work? I have no idea, but that's what the kids at the Trace were advocating for. I mean, they're a bit nutty, you know. Um, like I said, they don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. Um, and they actually published this. Now, you, you've you been around editing quite a bit. I was an editor. Uh, I would have spiked if, – if a young kid brought me this story – I would have I would have spiked it so fast it would have made his head spin. But the only good thing that you, you can take out of this is at least they're blaming another inanimate object for the increased killings, that of the gas station, rather than the other inanimate object that they always go after are guns. But yeah, that's the trace in a nutshell. Less than 1% of the city's killings and it's a trend that has to be stopped over over a two-year period. So over nine, so nine killings at gas stations, 2021, 2022. Now, uh, I'm I'm not the world's greatest mathematician, but that sounds like it's an average of four and a half killings per year at all the gas stations. I don't know how many gas stations are in Philadelphia, but right, that's that's all of them in yes. Philadelphia over over a two-year period. Yeah, huge, huge issue. Public safety epidemic. That's why we all need electric cars. <laughs> <laughs> just to, yeah, the, the non sequiturs just fly. Yeah. Right. So now, now you're a former cop, right? Yes. So aren't places like gas stations, street corners, bars, you know, places where people come together, maybe places where drugs are sold? You know, th these are places where people have conflict. I mean, I I see all kinds of YouTube videos about conflicts at gas stations because that's where people show up with their cars, right. right? Everybody shows up at a gas station at some point. So isn't that more likely responsible for some killings happening at gas stations? I mean, my question is, why aren't there more? Yeah, exactly. It's actually pretty light when you think about it. It's a It's the place to go for carjackers. OK, not a lot of open air drug markets nearby because gas stations usually have cameras. So that's why they're going to go go to the street corner to sell the drugs. Maybe they cut deals. But I, too, uh, was kind of struck by the low body count in Philly at the gas stations. So uh, I expected it to be a lot higher. I guess I guess the cameras probably scare the bad guys off. Well, either that or they've been watching movies. And, you know, if you fire a gun anywhere near a gas station, the whole block blows up, right? Yeah. That's, that's, the way, that's the way it works. Just like, like a nuclear bomb. Just like when cars go off a cliff, they always explode. Yes. Always. Yes. I mean, it just, just has to happen that way. Well, so killer gas stations, I mean, I guess they're going to have to make a movie about that. I'm not sure that's a movie I want to watch, but I'll bet somebody will, will make a movie. I see Steven Seagal in it. There are, oh, there you go. Now, don't pick on Steven. <laughs> he has some good movies, or, or used to, at least. Used to, yeah. yeah. So uh, there's another report that, uh, you know, you were writing about, and this was uh, a medical report. And a team of physicians and medical researchers, surprise, surprise, found no link between increased legal gun sales and increased violent crime rates. And right. the study concluded— and I'm, I'm quoting here, 
it is unclear if efforts to limit lawful firearm sales would have any effect on crime rates, homicide, or injuries from violence committed with firearms. So, wow, shocker, right? Uh, I mean, right. This, this comes as a big surprise. Well, and this is a good one because some of the guys involved, uh, like Dr. Hamill, are a member of is a member of DRGO, Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. And if the mem- if some of your members aren't familiar with that group, that is not an anti-gun group. Okay, you hear responsible in some of these names, you think, oh my God, it's an anti-gun group. DRGO is extremely pro-gun, extremely pro-gun. They were out not too long ago. Uh, at our Second Amendment Foundation's uh, GRPC, the Gun Rights Policy Conference. I know several of them. They are incredibly pro-gun, and they try to educate the other physicians out there. That's their goal, is to try and, and because a lot of these guys, especially the ER docs, end up becoming anti-gun. DRGO is out there advocating on behalf of the Second Amendment. They're an incredible group, and they just they just went after this, man. And I, And I think they nailed it, quite frankly. There's no relationship between increased guns and increased crime, period. They debunked a lot of crap that's been going on over the years. And I'm very happy to to call a couple of these guys my friends. I mean, they had issues, Dean, getting the damn thing published. One medical journal shot them down. They peer-reviewed all their data and said, yeah, your data looks good, man, but we're just not going to publish it because guns. Uh, Dr. Hamill said it was a it was a tour de force to get it published because there is so much anti-gun bias out there in, in the people controlling these medical journals, which we both know. I mean, look at JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. Half of this, everything they do, you know, is, is pretty much anti-gun. So it was not easy for these guys to get it published. We put it out there. I hope uh, your members will take a look at it. It's unimpeachable. Even the anti-gunners couldn't poke holes in it. So I think it's interestingly how, when people who have real-world experience do do research uh, as opposed to those who don't, I mean, do you think that maybe uh, these guys are a little more able to do informed research because, you know, they actually know something about guns? Yeah, I quite frankly, I do. They know the difference between a gun and a rifle. Hell, some of these DRGO guys, they know the, the difference between uh, piston and gas impingement. Okay, they're shooters. Uh, and and I think that gives them a hell of a leg up. Yeah, I, I just think that in any kind of research, and I, I graduated with a science degree, so I'm at least a little bit familiar with how research is done. And I think you have to know something about the subject matter. You can't come in yeah. completely ignorant, gather up some numbers, and then draw conclusions. If you don't understand, I mean, this would be like me. I don't know, doing a survey of whales or something and coming up with some conclusion about whale migration. And the first question people would ask is, well, you know, are you a marine biologist? No, I'm not. You know, I'm, I was in marketing. But, you know, why not? You know, why, why couldn't I do research? Well, because you know nothing about it. That That's why. Right? A legitimate, a legitimate uh, condition right there, you know. But just look at the guy's uh, credentials. Uh, and there, I included them in the story where they work, and, and uh, these are some some powerful doctors. And again, I got to say, they tried to do the anti-gunners at these journals tried to debunk it, and they could not. So this is golden. I will be using this in future stories. I think we all should, especially when there's issues about gun sales and gun shops. Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing that that really got me 
involved in advocacy for Second Amendment rights. This was years ago, and I saw a simple little chart. And the chart showed gun sales over several decades. And, you know, the the line was going up, 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 up. And then it showed, you know, violent crime rates over that same period of time. And we're talking decades, not just cherry-picked years. Right. And the, the crime rate, you know, it went up and down and up and down, but it was pretty flat. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, you know, even somebody who who's not familiar with the topic can tell there's no relationship between those two things. Correct. You know, lots more guns being sold, a lot more, a lot more guns in the population, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the crime rate whatsoever. No, because the bad guys aren't buying their guns in gun stores. They're not going in and filling out a forty-four seventy-three. They're not getting a background check because they know their their felony convictions would would uh, would come up and they would be denied the purchase. This is just most of these sales, you know, are to people who want them for self defense. Yeah, and that's what we saw in 2020, 2021. People yeah. were saying they were they were trying to link the <clears throat> spike in crime, especially in 2020, to increase gun sales. And they got it exactly backwards. It was no, people are watching all of these riots. I'm sorry, protests on yeah. TV, <laughs> and they were getting freaked out. I mean, I even know knew some people who were liberal, who you know otherwise really weren't too fond of guns going out and buying guns because it was like, look, this cannot be about politics. It's getting scary out there. We even had incidents down in Columbus where our legislative director called me and said, you know, I'm going down for some meetings. It's getting ugly down here. And I said, look, turn around, come back. Don't go down. You're going to get stuck. Because this was at a time when a lot of these crowds were like grabbing cars and rocking them and trying to tip them over. And if you try to defend yourself in that situation at that moment in history, you were in trouble. Yeah. You know, it's like it was a no self-defense zone. Well, I have a good friend who's a, a trainer, and he said some of his classes during that time period could have been a Joe Biden rally. They were full of liberals who, you know, went out and purchased pistols and want to learn how to take care of themselves, how to defend themselves. So, yeah, I think that that amount of violence drew people from all all walks of life. And this is not the first medical report that I've seen. We reported on one that came out a while back, and it was like a 30-year study. On, and it was looking at the liberalization of, of gun control laws, meaning, you know, passing things like constitutional carry, having more, um, you know, licensed carry, whatever it might be, just making it easier for people to acquire firearms and carry firearms. And they found... Zero correlation. And right. basically, their conclusion was, was the same as this report. They, they were just saying, look, when these laws are passed, it does not seem to affect the, the violent crime rates at all. And again, this was not cherry-picked. This was over, I believe, 30 years. So it was a well, giant your, data site. I looked at your streets when I was there. I didn't see any of them running red with blood. Um, but it is interesting. When I left Florida, I went through Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, and then Ohio. And unlike Florida, all of those were constitutional carry states. Yeah, it's kind of uh, nice when they're connected. Yeah, yeah. We'll, hopefully, we'll be joining that exclusive club pretty soon. I would love Florida to be the 26th state. So I'm, I'm surprised uh, that that hasn't happened already. Yeah, we have an issue. We have a lot of rhinos. Uh, we got rid of a bunch of them, but their Florida legislature is, is Republican dominated. But there, unfortunately, there's a few too many. There were a few too many rhinos in their last session. These are the guys that signed the Parkland bill. 
uh, but we're getting rid of them more every day. So we're and DeSantis has promised to give us to sign a constitutional carry bill before he leaves office, maybe for another office, maybe for a higher office, um, hopefully, um, before he before he leaves. And uh, it's just a question whether the Republican Party here in Florida can get out of its own damn way and get a bill on his desk. That's kind of, uh, you know, really surprising because wasn't it Florida that passed the first modern concealed carry law? Because I remember this was a good while back. What was this in the 90s or maybe the 80s? It was the first shall issue concealed carry law. And we led the nation in that. And we still have more permits. I think only Texas beats us. Um, But yeah, us not having constitutional carry is infuriating. And that is our sole focus at Florida carry. And I, and I, and I remember news stories, and this was even before that I really, you know, got interested in, in this whole topic, that there were billboards, you know, warning people, you know, don't go to Florida. It's, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, you know, that kind of, they were, they were trying to, you know, that Florida was going to, you know, run red with blood. That was our stand your ground law. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And and as you know, all that says is I no longer have a duty to retreat. So I'm I'm, I'm out having dinner uh, with my wife and a uh, bad guy pops out with a gun before the stand your ground law came in. I had to run away. But now uh, there's no no running involved. Yeah. And we, of did, course- we did that. We did that uh, a couple of years ago as well. Yeah. So. Uh- yeah, well, good, good. I'm, I'm hoping that you could. Uh, I, you know, I would have thought that Florida would would have been on top of this before we had it. Oh, brother! It, I mean, it's been a it, every every year. It's been well. Wait till next session, okay? Like the next the next person that tells me wait till next session, I hope they have good dental coverage. That's about how fed up with this I am. Now, d- Florida got more red right with this last right. election, so it's more. And this is what happened in Ohio too. Good. So I, you know, I don't know that I would call it a red wave. Certainly not at the national level, but Ohio turned more red, and and uh, Florida appears to have turned more red. Well, so DeSantis again, took Miami Dade, and that's historically been the one blue county. People, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, people, I think uh, misjudge a lot of immigrants, especially Hispanics, where oh, they they huge. talk about them as if you know they're liberal, they're blue. And so on. Well, you know, they might be members of the Democratic Party, but they're actually pretty conservative. They come from conservative countries. They're personally conservative. And I think that they're really misjudging what's going to happen in the future. I think you have a lot of people are going to end up voting Republican. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Uh, Florida is a melting pot just of Hispanics. We have Hispanic folks from all over the world. And everyone I've met has been somewhat conservative. They're all very religious uh, and very conservative. So let's talk about Michael Bloomberg, because I know that that is your favorite topic and mine as well. <laughs> and uh, the, the headline of this article, all of these are articles uh, from articles that, that you wrote. And the headline was The Truth About Michael Bloomberg's Militia Fetish. Now, I'm I'm going to make an admission to you. When this story, when I first saw this story, I didn't read it. I saw this headline, and I kind of thought I knew what it was about, and I just didn't read it. But then I finally got around to it, and I thought, wow, I should have read that earlier because you present a really interesting idea. In fact, you're sort of making a prediction. 
Can yeah. you walk us through what you're talking about with uh, Bloomberg's militia fetish? Well, it struck me as odd. You know, unfortunate. The unfortunate part of my job is I have to read a lot of propaganda from the Trace and from Bloomberg's other uh, media organs. And I noticed that he started referring to the National Guard as an organized militia. Uh, one story is talking about uh, the National Guard in New York, and they, a governor there signed a law extending a property tax credit. And the story said that the tax relief was going to go to veterans who served for at least 10 years, quote, in the U.S. Armed Forces or in the organized militia of the state of New York, where I would have just said, or in the New York National Guard, right? I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, there's, that, it just makes sense. Another story, uh, this was published in June, looked at some kind of labor dispute involving active duty National Guardsmen in Ohio. Um, and if, you know, people are unfamiliar with this, these guys go on what they call an AGR tour. They're active duty, but they're working at a National Guard base. And the story said, quote, the U.S. Supreme Court accepted the Ohio National Guard's request to consider whether the agency that oversees federal sector labor relations also has jurisdiction over state militias. And I saw it again in an August story. They're talking about modern day militia ready for fight against U.S. election hacking. And that was the Ohio National Guard again. I think what they have done is they're telegraphing an attack. Um, they're ch trying to change how the public views a militia. And, and we both know that the, the real meaning of the Second Amendment, the militia is, that's you and me, man. That's, that's you and me and your members and, and the members of Florida carry. Um, so I think they want, they have to accept the fact that the Second Amendment is, protects the militia. But I think at some point they're going to attack it along the grounds of the militia is the National Guard. The National Guard can have guns, but everybody else, the true militia the armed home armed gun owners need to be disarmed. That's where I think he's going to go. And he's just got to change public perception about what constitutes a militia. So yeah, the, the second amendment, I'm sorry, the anti-gun activists just can't seem to get over the whole uh, militia thing in the second amendment. The, the fact is that if you look at the wording or if you look at Supreme court rulings, militia in no way restricts the meaning of the operative phrase shall not be infringed. You know, right. the, the Supreme right. Court has ruled on this like three times now. Yep. And even if you read it, while, you know, a lot of writing at that time was a little awkward, it doesn't really matter what that introductory phrase was. They were no. giving one argument for individuals being armed, but it does not affect in any way, it does not limit who shall be armed right, or, or why. It shall not be infringed. That's the operative phrase. And it doesn't make any sense on so many other levels because none of the rights in the Bill of Rights are collective rights. I mean, the whole, right. the whole point of the Constitution, the whole point of rights in general is that it has to be at the individual level. If it's not, then you don't have rights. It's, it's, it's not a logical argument any way you approach it. So I'm you know, this is odd that they would start doing this um, unless they have some sort of long game where they're going to, you know, try to pack the court and, you know, whatever it is. They, they certainly do think long-term, Lee. Oh, I know. Unfortunately, we're not nearly as good at it as they are. And Bloomberg is the master, and he's the master that's armed with billions and billions of dollars. 
So I just I just had to point this out because to me this when you, when you set back and you think about it and I talked to a couple of friends about it and like you the light bulb goes on over their head and they're like oh my god th- this is exactly what he's trying to do he's trying to change public perception about how militia is viewed they're too stupid to realize that that's not a limiting clause in the second amendment but I think that's where they're going to go. Yeah, and and of course, I think we've discussed this. My nightmare scenario with Bloomberg is, you know, I don't wish anybody ill, but the, the guy is old. Everyone yeah. expires at some point. He's he's proven that he's willing to put a lot of money into these um, anti-gun groups. I'm wondering what's in his will. I mean, yeah. is he is he going to will billions of dollars to every town? The, you know, this could be a future nightmare. If he's able to put billions of dollars into organizations who are going to fight against rights or launch lawsuits, that's a lot of money that he could uh, he could uh, put into something like that. Well, then you combine him with Brady and Giffords and all these other damn groups. It, I mean, we need a we need a, a Daddy Warbucks. The home team needs a, a billionaire who's interested in preserving the Second Amendment. Because right now we are entirely outgunned when it comes to money. That's true. Uh, but, you know, my theory has always been, and I've thought this since the beginning, the anti-gun groups tend to all be top-down. Yeah. They're all about the money. Yeah. And and there's, it's kind of a smoke and mirrors operation. They try to convince you that everybody thinks this or everybody thinks that when it's really just a small number of people and a big pile of money. On our side, the advantage is, you know, while we don't have the money— and the NRA is not putting as much money in as some people claim. But what we have are the numbers. You know, we have a firearm ownership as part of a culture. And it's us who vote. You know, we vote. We put people into office. That's where the laws come from. So I don't know if that totally counteracts the money. The money's a big advantage. But I think I'd rather have people on my side than a checkbook on my side. I couldn't agree more. And and I've always, you know, when when these groups get pressed for actual membership, especially every town, they say, well, we have, you know, millions of supporters, which means absolutely nothing. We are the true grassroots groups, okay? I've always referred to every town in these other groups as AstroTurf, okay? They are not grassroots. They are AstroTurf. They are bought and paid for. And yeah, you nailed it. What are their real numbers? How many people actually join these groups versus their millions of supporters? Well, let me chime in on this. Yeah, let me chime in on this because, again, marketing is my background, so I'll tell you exactly what they're doing. They're counting email subscriptions or everybody that they acquire to put on a list. They're they're counting Facebook, right, follows or Twitter or whatever. They're aggregating all of that, and they're saying, you know, these are – members, quote-unquote, or these are supporters, but it's really just a database. That That's yeah. it. it. These are not like paid supporters or people who are honestly behind you. Um, and, and so, But, you know, again, like you said, smoke and mirrors, they're trying to give you the impression that more people support what they want than support the idea of uh, individual gun ownership, which is part of the culture. And in any type of organization— a pro whatever group is always going to have more zeal and more energy than an anti whatever group. 
You know, I mean, they're they're banding together because they hate something as opposed to folks like us. We're banding together because, you know, we enjoy this. This is what we do. This is our culture. This is how we recreate. As I showed you earlier, I just got back from the range with my new staccato. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to tell you about it. Yeah, there's never that zeal on the other team. Well, and that's the other thing. And it's really interesting. And we've seen this for a long time. It's the same people are advocating for all kinds of different causes. So, you know, when, you know, the moms show up or anti-gun activists otherwise show up, these are the same people who show up for a dozen other protests or a dozen other things. On the left, they just really enjoy this kind of activity. You know, like protesting, for example. There are people who protest because it's a party. They enjoy it. They enjoy that kind of activity. On our side, we're more of a, just leave me alone and let me live my life sort of thing. And when we're advocating for gun rights, it's a very specific group of people. We're not out doing a dozen other things. We're honestly interested in that topic, and we're really, really adamant about it. Well, and and at the end of the day, they can they can get a lot of people during the day to a protest, while we can't because most of us have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so it's just a different dynamic, right? So they yes. have they have the smoke and mirrors, they have the money. And I and I have to admit to you, Lee, that, that this, the scary thing is I said for years they, they never had the ground game. Because we were watching Bloomberg for years, getting involved in Columbus, getting involved, you know, trying to be at the grassroots level. They could never do it. But when they formed every town and they got the right management in place, they figured it out. And they yeah. really are at the grassroots now in a really scary way. So yeah. unfortunately, they, they have the money, they have the organization, they have the media, they have a lot of advantage. But again, we have the population, I believe, where you know, real people just don't believe in at least the more uh, you know, radical attempts to uh, take firearms away. I couldn't agree more, brother. So Lee, um, I really appreciate your spending time with us today. Where can people read your original reporting, like some of the stuff we've talked about today. Everything I write is available at thegunwriter.substack.com. Thegunwriter.substack.com. Everything is there, including some stuff that doesn't make it into the other forums. Um, I have to be careful sometimes because I do work for the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, and I do speak on their behalf, but my substack, it kind of lets me be me. And the uh, the stuff that you do for the Second Amendment Foundation, that's part of what they call their investigative journalism project. Is that correct? Correct. And so you're uh, the, the chief editor of that, and you're, you're putting out regular – because I get emails uh, you know, with, with those articles, and I uh, frequently visit the uh, website. I just really enjoy what you do, so I hope people will check that out. So, uh, Lee, thanks again for spending time with us. Keep My up pleasure, the, Dean. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk Thank to you, you again you soon. Too. You too. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at buckeyefirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.